Pantry Studio production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Love. It's something that we should never take for granted. It's warm embraces and tender smiles. Light away for anyone in the dark and troubled times. And we all go through that. And it's in those times that we seem to find out who means it when they say it. Who is truly there? And if those words, that statement of loving someone, how true is it? Well, it's almost always put to the test. It's not a pop quiz kind of thing. Oh, no. It's a trial and test that is almost certainly, almost always sure to come as people. Well, people, especially family members, can put that statement, this emotion, to a grueling exam that almost no one wants to be a student of. It's all too often that this happens, though. All too frequently that someone rubs that last nerve raw, and frayed emotions become as an exposed raw nerve, and the next thing you know? Well, the fighting starts. The arguing, harsh feelings and words, and angered realities replace the once sunny and sweet dispositions of those we love and cared so much for. But wait a minute. It takes a lot to get there, to that point. Doesn't it? It was on February 11, 2014, when Cynthia Cidabaco was preparing to go to her granddaughter's spelling bee, but she was barred from going by her son-in-law because of the clothes she wore. That led Cynthia to do the unthinkable. Now, Fallbrook, California isn't the kind of place where you'd expect to hear dozens of gunshots in rapid succession. Oh no, it's the very kind of town where a whole lot of nothing happens very frequently. That's why that morning, calls flooded 911 in this upscale suburb of San Diego. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and this is Episode 24, All in the Family. The Mountain Mystery of the Killer Grandma, Cynthia Sidabaka. I will be the last to fall. Shed a tear for them to see There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. Reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. They are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Sloan. Don't forget to support the Mountain Mysteries on Patreon and get early commercial-free access to all episodes of the Mountain Mysteries. Plus, you'll be eligible to get all of the blurs, our short stories that are allegedly based in fact. It was in 2001 when Cynthia Cidabaca had a stroke. 
Her daughter, Laura Salinas, agreed to let her stay at a granny flat that was connected to the house that she shared with her husband, Giovarda Stacchio. Now, it was about a year before all of this that Cynthia's husband had died. Her family said that she never fully recuperated from that. Gionisa Harris, Giovard's sister, said that after her stroke, Giovard wanted to make sure that his mother-in-law received the care that she needed and felt that the best place for her to do that was to be among her family. I think most of us can agree and comprehend that. Now, this move would allow Laura to get her mom back into shape and to return to some kind of health. But inside this expensive home in Fallbrook, California, apparently there was a very unhappy family. The relationship between Laura and her husband was rocky, and that's putting it mildly. Cynthia was used to watching them argue, so much so that it had become an expected occurrence. According to Laura, Giovard physically and verbally abused his entire family. He reportedly broke their teenage son's electronics and sprayed family members down with water from a hose when he felt they misbehaved. It's been stated that he often sprayed Cynthia down because she smoked cigarettes. Now, one story goes that he even threw out the urn of Cynthia's late husband's ashes. Giovard Estacchio grew up as the third of eight kids in a pretty tight-knit family, one that often came together for reunions and laughter, as you would expect. Giovard Estacchio was a 53-year-old real estate agent who spent his free time coaching a youth rugby team. He lived with his wife, of course, and their two kids, a son from another marriage, and, of course, his mother-in-law, Cynthia Sitabaka. Giovard was well-liked by people that knew him and especially known for his generosity. Three of his siblings attended the hearing of his murder case, including two from the East Coast. His sister, Gionisa Harris, said that her family now refers to all of these events as pre or post concerning her brother's death. In describing her brother, Harris always used adjectives like quick-witted, selfless, and generous. She also said that no one can or ever will take his vibrant spirit and his unwavering love for his family. This event has profoundly and fundamentally changed them, according to her. His strict disposition was misunderstood, Harris said. Like we said a few moments ago, Cynthia was a smoker, something that Giovar detested. According to Gionisa, her brother did not want Cynthia to smoke in the presence of his kids. He believed that if you're going to stay in his home, then you have to abide by his rules. Gionisa said that her Aunt Cindy would be on the back patio smoking because she wasn't allowed to smoke in the house. And then he would be outside watering down the lawn and say, Where I see smoke, I see fire. Gotta put out the fire. He would then commence to hose Cindy down, according to Sabra Cabrera, Cynthia Sidabaka's niece. Now, Sabra said that he did that to her cousin, too. And he did it to his wife. He would hose them down just because they allegedly said something that he didn't like. Oh, and another persistent issue was that Cynthia believed Giovard, who was a military reservist, was way too strict on her grandkids. Giorana Buranak, Giovard's sister, said that her brother would tell her that he didn't approve of the way that she disciplined the kids. But on the other hand, he didn't approve of the way anyone disciplined the kids. 
Typical family problems? Eh, maybe. But it probably wasn't easy for Cynthia's daughter, Geoward's wife, Laura, who often found herself right in the middle of this mess. As a result of everything that happened in the household, Cynthia hated her son-in-law. And she saw only one solution. Murder. To kill Geoward. Cynthia had bought a 38 caliber five-shot revolver over five years before. This was back in 2005. And she did it because she said that she had a bad feeling, end quote, about Geo Ward. When Geo Ward allegedly hit one of the kids two weeks prior to the incident, she thought that she could kill Geo Ward right there on the spot. On January 24, 2014, a short time before the shooting, maybe a little less than a month as a matter of fact, Cynthia went to a shooting range to renew her range card and buy bullets. Laura said that Cynthia was experienced with guns. She had guns when Laura was growing up because they lived in a pretty bad neighborhood. However, Laura said that she didn't know anything about Cynthia having a gun at the time of the shooting. Cynthia admitted that she'd been thinking about killing Geoward for at least two days before the shooting. All she needed was for Geoward to say or do something, anything, that would make her want to kill him. Well... Soon enough, she would have her opportunity. The following was an interview with Lorraine Warren, now available on the Mountain Mysteries podcast. He commanded in the name of Jesus Christ for what was there to reveal itself so the clergy could see this. The bed went up in the air with all of them on it, and your draws were coming out faster than you could ever imagine. The Mountain Mysteries, now available on Spotify and where podcasts are found. Stay mysterious. It all fell on the morning of the 11th of February, 2014. Laura went to the flat to wish Cynthia a happy birthday. Her 63rd, as a matter of fact. Laura gave Cynthia some money for gambling because, well, her niece was going to take her to a casino. Cynthia was about half asleep, but she was happy and excited. Cynthia went to the kitchen to eat breakfast. As according to reports, it was a little before 8 o'clock in the morning. She planned to go to her granddaughter's spelling bee. She said Geoward began to mock her. She got dressed and he said, You can't go like that. He told her she looked ghetto and like a hobo. Well... My, oh my, that was enough to do the job right there. Cynthia went and took a walk back upstairs. But she said Geoward grabbed her and continued to call her names, filled her with anger and pissed her off to no end. Cynthia went to her granny flat, out to the car, and got the gun. She calmly loaded the revolver, a five-shot as we're told, and as Geoward was carrying a laundry basket across the patio... Well, Cynthia went ballistic and started firing at him. Now, when she started shooting, Geoward dropped the clothes. He came after her, grabbed her hands. He said he didn't want to die like this. She backed up as she shot Geoward. Cynthia did have bruises on her hands and arms at the time that she was interviewed. During the 10-minute attack, she repeatedly emptied the five-shot gun, actually went back to her car to get more bullets. It's said that Cynthia had difficulty walking because of her health issues, which meant walking back and forth to the car for more bullets. 
Well, well, more than likely, that's why the attack spanned 10 minutes instead of two. Geoward was left injured on the ground. He managed to crawl inside his home and lock that door, but it didn't stop her. Oh no, Cynthia had a reloaded gun and she was ready to fire. And she did just that. She released more shots through the glass of the kitchen door to get inside. Then, she continued her rampage. Now, according to evidence collected at the scene, it indicates that some of the shots came as he was crawling away from her. She went in and shot Geoward four more times. He said, please don't kill me. Cynthia said that she was upset that he didn't say that he wanted to see his children. In total, Cynthia fired 15 shots. Three hit the kitchen door and the rest hit Geoward. One grazing him, but most of them landed in the torso. He was shot 12 times by his wife's own mother. She shot until the gun was empty and she was out of bullets. She went and reloaded again and again. It was around 8 o'clock in the morning. Several neighbors had called 911 reporting what they thought was gunfire. The first caller reported three to four loud bangs, which the caller interpreted as possible gunshots. When the caller was speaking to the 911 operator, the caller heard an additional episode of shots. A second caller reported hearing a cracking noise and a man saying, Help me! Help me! The second caller heard another round of shots during that 911 call. And then a third caller heard five shots, followed by another group of five shots as the caller made the 911 call. The caller heard someone calling out. Oh, but wait, there's still more to go. Oh, you betcha. The fourth caller heard gunshots, followed by more gunshots, and then more, and a few minutes later, the caller also heard someone moaning and saying, help me, in a strained voice. As the caller was on the phone with the 911 emergency operator, another series of gunshots was heard. Yes, more. And the person yelled again, help me, followed by another gunshot. And lastly, a fifth caller, who is a law enforcement officer, heard five to seven metered gunshots at 7.57 a.m. A male voice yelled a single syllable word two to three times. As the officer drove down the street, the officer heard five to seven more shots at the same metered pace. The cop called 911 while the officer was on the phone. The officer said that he heard a third series of five to seven shots, a total of 15 from five different perspectives, all calling 911 at the same time. Now, speaking of time, it took some of that to locate where those shots were coming from. Because you see, the home that they lived in was in a gated community. This was the kind of place that you never thought anything like this could happen. It was the kind of place that a lot of nothing happened all of the time. Well, there was only one way in and out in several cul-de-sacs, so... When police officers finally got to the scene, the patio door located on the back of the main house, it had a bullet hole, but the glass was otherwise intact, and the deadbolt was locked from the inside. Geoward, he was found inside without a pulse on the floor, laying in the kitchen. Female clothing and blood were all around the courtyard area, red stains near the door, everywhere. With Geoward dead on the kitchen floor, Cynthia went on her birthday celebrations as if it were any other day of the week, like nothing had ever happened. 
Well, Cynthia headed to a local diner for bacon and eggs. After the shooting, Cynthia went to a local liquor store for cigarettes. She even bought a better brand than she usually got her hands on, saying it was her birthday. Number 63. She didn't appear distressed or injured. Acted like she didn't have a care in the world. Cynthia then went to a casino to gamble for a few hours. After that, she went to a coffee shop. Her gun was found after the shooting in a ditch behind a liquor store across the street from the coffee shop. Now here, her trip was cut short when she was taken in for questioning by detectives. Her daughter would say she was a creature of habit. And these were her favorite places. Well, at first, the primary suspect was Giovar's oldest son. He had a problem with addiction. And Giovar, the disciplinarian, strongly objected to this habit, as you can imagine. Eventually, the suspicion shifted, though. As Giovar's family members were notified, they rushed to the house, all of them. Well, all but one of them, that is. Cynthia Cidabaca was the only person missing in this whole family. When Cynthia was first brought into questioning, she played dumb about the murder. Something happened today at your house, and unfortunately, Laura's husband, you know what Laura's husband's name is? Well, unfortunately, Laura's husband has passed away. Huh? Laura's husband was killed today. He was killed when? Today. We're going to ask you some questions. We're going to ask you some questions because we're trying to figure out what happened today, okay? All right. Well, you don't have to be a Class A Los Angeles County detective to figure out that sounded fake. But when Cynthia was in custody, she started acting bizarre. Now, what you just heard was from, from some video evidence and... The video evidence is of Cynthia's initial interview, and it shows her she admitting she didn't bother to check on her son-in-law after she'd fired all those bullets. She was seen celebrating her son-in-law's death. She never appeared to show any real remorse. So what did you think of him? Okay, why do you say that? That's the big thumbs down. You didn't like him. Hell no, she didn't like him. When officers told Cynthia that Geo Ward was dead, she waved her arms in the air and cheered. He's dead. He's dead, man. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, boy, oh, boy. You don't feel bad about it? No. Would you do it again? Yes. You know, when I first saw that, I thought that she had either won a set of tickets to the Chippendales Mail Review or a couple of cartons of Marlboro. I didn't know, but I'm telling you, this woman has no remorse whatsoever for killing the father of her grandchildren and the husband of her daughter. Cynthia then confessed that she'd been plotting to kill Geoward for a while and that she'd even been to a shooting range three weeks before the murder to get some target practice. She said that she had to and that she did. And she admitted she's guilty. Is he dead? Gotta be dead, I hope so. Well, you heard her. She followed that with an account of the last words spoken by Astachio before he succumbed to the bullet injuries that riddled his torso. Well, it looked like 
target practice. She said, I shot him. Boom, 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 boom. Then the detective asked, did he say anything to you? The look on her face was so matter-of-fact, it's frightening. She said that Geoward's last words to her were, Grandma, I love you. And she said it in a mocking tone. He said, Grandma, I love you. After you shot him? Cynthia said, Yes, I didn't care. Sound cold and callous? Coming up, will Cynthia stand trial in the vicious murder of her son-in-law? Well, new information comes about that may make some jaws drop and heads shake. Right after this, on The Mountain Mysteries. Grandma, I love you, happened to be the final words uttered by him, which only prompted Grandma to intensify her abuse against the father of three. Now, you'd probably think that the lack of remorse in her voice when she mockingly recalled his last words simply couldn't be trumped. Oh, but you'd be wrong. That couldn't be further from the truth. When detectives asked if she would kill him again, she simply said, yes. Now, she justified her actions by telling the police how Geoward abused her family. She told investigators that she and her family had endured 13 years of abuse from Estakio. So mean to me, to all of them. Yes, he is, said Cynthia. They were afraid of him, yes. So mean to my daughter. I told her 13 years ago he's evil. Cynthia claimed that he'd even, at one point, tried to choke her daughter, Laura. When asked why she did not call police when Geoward laid hands on her or Lara, Cynthia said that Geoward used to be a law enforcement official, so they figured that they wouldn't get any help. Well, shortly after her interview, Cynthia was given the chance to say goodbye to her family before being led off to jail. Laura, Geoward's wife and Cynthia's daughter, well, they were inconsolable. Geoward's young daughter and Cynthia's granddaughter could barely make it into the room. While most of them hugged Cynthia, her youngest granddaughter pushed her away and said, No, you killed my dad. Detectives left Cynthia with one final piece of advice before heading downtown. Whoever you pray to, ask them for forgiveness. Cynthia said that she didn't pray to anyone. She said, I prayed for the first time today, and I prayed that he would die. The detective looked at her and simply said, Oh boy. Well, Cynthia was evaluated by doctors and they found her competent to stand trial. In court, Laura testified in her mother's defense. Her lawyer told the court that his client snapped after seeing her daughter and grandchildren mistreated by her son-in-law, Geoward, for years. Now, it was in court when the information about the abuse allegations first came up. The abuse is typically rarely covered and glossed over when it comes to the news reporting in this particular case. This is the abuse that Cynthia and her family alleged. Geoard frequently left Cynthia at the coffee shop, sitting outside either in the heat or cold, for hours at a time and didn't come back to get her. Friends from the coffee shop gave Cynthia rides home when these instances occurred. 
Cynthia expressed her concerns to friends at the coffee shop about the relationship between Laura and GeoWired. She said that she did not like the way that GeoWired treated Laura and the kids. She said that GeoWired, quote, hurts us, end quote, but she never gave any details. Cynthia mentioned to her coffee shop friends that GeoWired was verbally abusive to her and made fun of the way she dressed. One friend actually said that they saw GeoWired stand over Cynthia at the coffee shop and berate her. Cynthia asked another friend to sit next to her and smell her because she said GeoWired had told her that she smelled like urine. GeoWired sprayed Cynthia with a garden hose when she was smoking outside and also sprayed her with a water bottle used for training dogs. He also turned the hot water off to the granny flat so she had to take cold showers. GeoWired allegedly called his own child a jerk, a lowlife, and said the dogs were better than the kid. GeoWired would use spray bottles and hit the child's nose with them, just like he did with the dogs. GeoWired did these things when Cynthia was present. Once, when relatives were visiting, GeoWired called the child downstairs and told them to read a book. Well, when the kid objected, saying that, hey, the relatives are here, he took out his belt and blistered the child until it went into a reading nook. Cynthia started crying and asked GeoWired why he was hitting the child. GeoWired told Cynthia to shut the f*** up because it was his house and he would do as he pleased. The night before the shooting, the same child came running into Cynthia's flat where Laura was watching a show with Cynthia. Child asked why Laura hated him so much and why he let GeoWard treat him the way he did. GeoWard yelled and cussed, telling the child to come back into the house. Later that evening, Laura said that she awoke to arguing and loud noises. GeoWard had broken the computer the child was using to do homework. Cynthia also witnessed instances when GeoWard verbally and physically abused Laura. There was this one time during a barbecue that GeoWard wanted Laura to go upstairs. When she refused, saying he had been drinking too much, he hosed her down with a garden hose. On another occasion, Cynthia's niece saw GeoWard on top of Laura, holding her down on the couch while Cynthia tried to pull him off. Laura said that this could have looked like GeoWard was choking her because GeoWard was holding her down with his fist and had his arm across her neck. During a visit in 2008, Cynthia's niece heard Laura crying at night and said, Stop! Get off me! When the niece questioned Laura, she was embarrassed but said the GeoWard would hold her down and wait for her to pass out. Then, GeoWard sodomized her without her consent saying it was the only way he could gratify himself because she was, quote, too loose down there, end quote. This was not the only forcible sex act that GeoWard committed on Laura, apparently. GeoWard kicked Cynthia out of the house several times over the years, and Cynthia would have to go live with her niece. One such occasion, back in 2013, well, Cynthia mentioned hearing noises from the main house at night, the niece told Cynthia that GeoWard sodomized Laura without consent, and of course, Cynthia became very upset. The niece and Cynthia went to Laura's home for Thanksgiving back in 2013. It was then that they said they noticed bruises on Laura's arm when she pulled up a sleeve as she was cooking. Well, Laura said it was nothing. Cynthia refused to leave the home after that. It was a few weeks before the shooting 
and Cynthia told a friend that things were not good around the house. Oh no, not at all. Geoart had, according to Cynthia, hit one of the kids. Cynthia said that she planned to visit for only a few days, but now there was no way in hell she was leaving. Cynthia expressed concern about her life and the lives of Laura and her grandchildren. Now, Deputy District Attorney Keith Wannabe did not dispute any of these abuse allegations, not at all. But he did argue that Geoart's behavior was not life-threatening and Cynthia's actions were simply not justified, and that they were, in fact, premeditated. He said, quote, You're going to hear throughout this case that she would refer to herself as ghetto grandma, and I do not want to use that term in any disparaging way. She would call herself that even before her own grandkids, prosecutor wannabe said in court. He also said that Cynthia not only planned the shooting days or even weeks before, but also had the opportunity to premeditate and deliberate about killing Geoward when she obtained the gun, shot the first rounds, and then went to her car to reload the gun twice before she finally shot him dead. This is not a case where she did this out of greed or self-interest, he said. He said that she did it in her mind to protect the family. He asked the jurors to find his client guilty of voluntary manslaughter instead of murder, telling them that the case was sad for everyone involved and that there was no winners in this. But the efforts of the lawyer failed. The jurors deliberated for just two days before finding 65-year-old Cynthia Cedabaca, which was her age at the time the trial took place. They found her guilty of first-degree murder. It was in March of 2017 that Cedabaca received 50 years to life in prison. Uh, more than likely, that means that she's going to spend the rest of her life behind bars. But before she was taken to prison, Cedabaca was allowed to address the court. She was crying. She said, I'm sorry. Real sorry. Cynthia became so overwhelmed with emotions that she couldn't speak. Her daughter, Laura, also made a very emotional speech following her mother's conviction. She said that she just wanted to say what kind and how much of a tragedy this is. She said that she loved her mother and she loved her husband. She said that she was hoping that after that day that they could move forward. Another of Gia Ward's sisters, Giorana Baranuk, said that her brother had been stolen from her family by a cold-blooded murderer. She's an evil person who deserves every second behind bars that she gets. Well, upon her sentencing, Gia Ward's sister pulled out 15 photos of him and his family for each one of those 15 shots that were fired, saying that every one of those photos epitomizes him, his family and his love of life. On our next episode of The Mountain Mysteries, Heather is coming home. The Mountain Mystery of Heather Teague. And when she sees that, she goes, <gasps> and, and the guy the, in law enforcement, whoever this was, comes over and shuts the, shuts the book and says, you weren't supposed to have gone that far. That's on the next episode of The Mountain Mysteries. Remember to support us on Patreon, where you'll get commercial-free early access to all episodes. Visit our website, the home of the Mountain Mysteries, at www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com. 
And follow us on Facebook and join us every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Mountain Mysteries Gatherings as we discuss these and other cases. For the Mountain Mysteries, I'm Chris Lone. Stay mysterious. If you enjoy the Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support the Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Studio Production.